in Seattle. Seattle. You need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to ridingdancedown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 584 now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, happy World Population Day. That just happened. I can't believe this number. Uh, where will we be in 2050? I think it might surprise you. Also, why are Americans so sad about their homes? Can we blame this on HGTV? Yeah, maybe. We'll get to that, though. Let's get to this. Uh, I have a friend that is one of the 10 team members that has been working on something called Threads. If you don't know what Threads is, it's kind of the new Twitter. It's brought to you by Meta, which is kind of the old Facebook. They call themselves Meta now. And it's interesting to see. You think about some of the old tech fights between Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And they tell a real sweet story at the end of Steve Jobs' life. He's in his deathbed. He's down in California in Palo Alto in this home that he always lived in, left the doors unlocked. Bill Gates comes in and sits down and they kind of mend the fence. And it's a beautiful story. And Walter Isaacson's book is over. And I'm like, that's a really neat way to, to end this because throughout the book, you find out. And Walter Isaacson, in order to write the book, he told Jobs, he said, hey, I'll write this book for you. I know you're dying. Uh, It took him a while to agree to it, but you have to give me access to everything, including Bill Gates, who's your arch nemesis, nemesis, and also your daughter, who uh, he was estranged with for a long time. And all the women in your life, all the tech people, all that stuff. So they they paint this picture of Steve Jobs kind of being a her, but a genius. And And then toward the end, there's this real sweet story. Fast forward, I hear Walter Isaacson on a podcast the other day, and he's explaining to me that after he wrote this story and placed it in this book about jobs, (laughs) he said he regretted it because he talked to Steve Jobs again before he died, and he said that Jobs had a completely different recollection now of Gates coming in there and thought he was a real harm. (laughs) Right. And he still hated him. And, and, and I'm like, well. Makes for a better book. Sometimes when you're dying of cancer, uh, you're not always the best version of yourself at the end of your life. So that that's the way that I choose to believe that. Anyway, it seems like Zuckerberg now and Elon Musk uh, have this real battle going on. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of Zuckerberg. He's doing MMA fighting stuff. Yeah, it looks pretty jacked. And, and maybe him and Jeff Bezos. Maybe we could get those guys in a, in a, in a cage fight. But but what's interesting to me, and in, t- in talking to my friend that has worked on this team, he said, you know, we took a look at Twitter, and we said to ourselves that there's a path here, there's an opportunity here, because uh, Twitter's kind of on the ropes right now. They feel like it went way to the right. And if we could invent a kinder, gentler Twitter we think it would have some real success. Also, if we told people that were already on Instagram, which they own, 
you can take your Instagram following, which Ellen did, for instance, and she was lying dormant on Twitter because of all the hatred. And then, and, and, and then she jumped over on threads. And what happens is they will give you credit and they will allow her big audience that she had on Twitter, but was, or I'm sorry, that she had on Instagram. She was allowed then. She wasn't on, she stopped using Twitter. She could take her large phone on Instagram and take that over to threads. There's also a lot of comedians right now that were canceled and they felt like they were canceled because of Twitter. They are showing up on threads and they say it's really interesting because people are kind of being nice and kind to them and not canceling them and they're not used to that. And and so I asked my friend, I, I, I said, how is this not going to turn into Twitter though? And he said, because we've added mechanisms, some of the same mechanisms that you see on Instagram and on Facebook where we're not going to allow hate and vitriol and division to kind of lead the way. Uh, what say you about threads? They say they're not going to monetize it till they get to a billion users. When I talked to him the other day, they'd been on 10 days and they were already at a hundred million users. But again, a lot of those people were farmed from Instagram. So it may be kind of a slower build now, but what say you about threads? And I know that you've been active on Twitter in the past, I know a lot of sports people that love sports shows and are very active on it. And when you look at sports radio, it can kind of be mean sometimes anyway, uh, especially when you listen to it on the East Coast and other parts of the country. Uh, what do you what do you think is going to happen here as, you, as, as you're looking at crystal ball? And is it something, Ron, that you're that you're interested in, in, in doing? Yeah, I, I signed up for threads. I've, I've put out a couple of threads. Uh, into the world to see what it was like. The, the thing I, I think that people should think about uh, and remember about it is like, what are these things for and what are they trying to accomplish? And so when, when you think about something like Facebook uh, versus Instagram versus Twitter, what, what's the difference? What are they for? And so the, the beauty of Twitter when it was a Jack Dorsey company back in the day, what, what made it different, what made it, what made it unique, what made it sticky was its immediacy. And so what you had on Twitter and, and his genius move was the hashtag. What you had on Twitter was an immediate way to react to things in the world. So for instance, I'll give you the, the example that I remember the most vividly just off the top of my head is, uh, the night I was watching the Academy Awards and, and Will Smith smacked Chris Rock. You could go to Twitter immediately. Like there's not going to be a news story written about that for several hours. So you could go online on your phone while watching the show and type into Google Will Smith and Chris Rock. Nobody's written an article yet. It just happened, right? And so there's not a breakdown from Variety. There's not a commentary from MSNBC. You don't have Fox News hasn't had time to digest and create a story yet that's on their website. On Twitter, instantaneously, you can go to the search bar, type in uh, Oscars or type in uh, Chris Rock, and you can start to have a conversation in real time about a news event that is happening. So you saw that event and it's happening in real time. That's what made Twitter special. Similarly to you're in Seattle and a helicopter crashes by the Space Needle. You can in real time 
see what's going on. It's fat. It was faster than the newspapers, faster than network news, faster than radio. Even you could get real time accounts. You could search for hashtag helicopter crash or whatever. And you could get someone, you could see video immediately of someone before it hit the news outlets. Yeah, when Kobe Bryant's helicopter went down, when the Arab Spring happened. It's happening in real time. So that's the beauty of Twitter. That's what it was for. And so how is that different than Facebook? Facebook is monetizing your actual social network. Facebook is monetizing your relationships. So they are saying, um, Ron is on Facebook He has friended Don. Don had to accept that friend request. This is an actual relationship. I do not have an actual relationship with a hashtag on Twitter. I'm not actually friends with that person holding up their camera to the helicopter crash. How did I find them? Because I searched for a news event that they are also a part of. And so we're, we're not actually friends. Um, I'm consuming something they did. We could have an interaction. I could, I could message them and say, Hey, person at the helicopter crash, you know, is the thing on fire? And they could see that and respond to me. And so now we've had an interaction, but we're not actually friends on Facebook. We're actually friends. All right. We have opted into each other's social network. That's very, very valuable. Now you think about Instagram is different. Uh, something like Snapchat or that sort of uh, platform, they are algorithmically putting out what is interesting. They don't care who your friends are. Um, if you're on, on Snapchat, um, what all they're trying to do is get your eyeballs. They're going to give you a feed of stuff that is performing well for attention. And so they're trying to monetize attention. I don't know any of these people in my feed. So I could click on something that's a, a recipe video. Next thing you know, I'm getting a bunch of different recipe videos. And as long as I'm engaging in those, I don't need to know these people. I don't need to subscribe to their channels. I don't need to know anything about them other than I'm, I'm giving you my attention for free. And so the algorithm is building. It's like, oh, Ron likes recipes. He likes videos about golf. He likes uh, videos about guitar players. He likes videos, whatever... I spend time on, it's going to serve me that stuff, right? So these are different models that you have. So what Meta has done is said, and I'm interpreting here, we're a little bit tapped out in the U.S. on the Facebook model. Younger people are not flocking to Facebook anymore, but it's a behemoth. It generates a lot of money. We can monetize the, the relationships people have. So what did they do? They bought Instagram. And so younger people were going to Instagram. And so they bought it, spent billions of dollars on Instagram and, and sort of meta metasized it. And so what happened on that? They said, Hey, we're getting pressure from the Snapchats of the world. Um, what are we going to do? Well, let's add videos and short stories to Instagram. That's a direct result of competition of younger people leaving Instagram and doing this short video format. So they're like, we're going to fold that in. So then they said, okay, well, what about Twitter? Twitter always kicked their butt in that space. And so now Twitter had its its problems with Elon. And so Facebook said, we're going to try to capture these people that like short form, immediate reaction. You don't even have to take a photo. You don't have to 
create a news article. You just have to have a, a 144 characters, 200 characters, whatever it is. Um, and the, the magic is in being able to find the stuff. So I would say the, the good part about thread so far is it is more friendly. The bad part is they don't have the news feed and the hashtags up to be searchable and immediate yet. So I think they, they did when you do the onboarding, it immediately populates your feed with everybody that you already follow on Instagram. So there's a familiarity there. You're like, oh, I know these accounts. And a lot of people are just taking the same stuff they put on Instagram, putting it on threads. And so I believe they're in the development stage of incorporating some of those other things. And at the same time, trying to safeguard it from the trolling. And so that's where it got away from um, Twitter. And so let's say a great example of this is let's say you're an LGBT activist. You would go out and you would search for things that you knew you would be offended by. So you're going to search out Kevin Hart and you find a clip from him from 10 years ago where he made a joke about uh, someone being gay. And then you pile drive that guy and you recruit all the people that you that believe like you do through hashtags. Swarm mentalities, like a swarm of bees. Yeah, you're going to swarm in and you're going to try to cancel him. So you have whatever your hot button issue is. It can be nut allergies. It could be obesity. It could be LGBTQ. It could be anything. Me too. You're going to, you have your thing and you start to build your audience around that thing. And then you go out and you seek out confrontation because you feel you felt powerless your whole life and marginalized. So you're like, I'm going to now, I've got the power to cancel another person. So that's what Twitter has become. I, I'm, a, I'm a minority. I've always been on the fringes. Well, I'm going to build this, this gestalt. Uh, I'm going to build a critical mass to where when someone violates a, a racial thing, we're going to pounce on them and we're going to get them canceled. You see Jonah Hill right now getting... Absolutely pile-driven. Yeah, and, and it's because he had a partner that decided to uh, take their private text messages... And and start putting those start putting those out in the world. So, right, and so there's a group of people that are like, they're oh, trying you're, to they're trying to cancel him as as we speak. You're being controlling. We're going to pounce on you. So how do you build that immediate access to legitimate news events or real time flow of things, and at the same time safeguard against you know this sort of predatory behavior that emerged on Twitter? I don't know. That's a hard one to crack. So let's drag in TikTok now. So so TikTok is something my son talks about and I know a lot of younger people talk about. TikTok's actually the platform I was trying to think of when, when I we had a, when we had the Ocean Gate submersible implode it was TikTok in real time right. that was doing all the great reporting. It was it, it was TikTok that was doing this, right? At the same time we see the other side of TikTok where kids right now are jumping out of boats and breaking their necks and dying. In fact, four kids down in Alabama were doing a TikTok challenge the other day. So it seems like TikTok's all over the map. Then fast forward, and I'm seeing commercials now about, and, and I saw one with a kid the other day and a veteran, and I'm a kid that helps veterans. I'm doing it on TikTok. And if it wasn't for uh, TikTok, we couldn't do these things because, you know, TikTok is owned and controlled out of China. And TikTok is in a position right now where they don't want to get canceled in the United States 
But we see them getting canceled, for instance, on some college campuses and some high school campuses. Yeah, so, I mean, the upshot of this for me is this is the largest social experiment, unregulated social experiment that we've had ever in the history of humankind. We have unleashed these attention bots and things that we don't really understand how they impact kids or adults or society or elections or economies or health outcomes. And we're just letting them roll. We're going to see what happens. Uh, and in the meantime, we're creating billionaires that like to battle each other and have cage fights. Yeah, it's, and, it's and, a fascinating time. And to, to put a bow around this, the FBI is sitting on the Hill yesterday being grilled by Congress over it. And it's really interesting because the, the head of the FBI was put in place by Donald Trump. But now the Trump administration feels like they're being targeted by the FBI and what happened at Mar-a-Lago. So not to get in that in all that. But it's interesting because because uh, one of the Washington state representatives asked the FBI director, and I don't think he thought this question was coming. It's like, hey, isn't it true that you go out and when you can't find the information that you're looking for, when you can't mine the information yourself, when you can't get a court order to mine information, that you just go out online and buy some of this information that may have been mined legally or not legally? Don't you buy that information about the American people? He would not answer the question. We will see you on the other side of this. All right, listen up, Everett in Woodby Island and our friends over on Bainbridge and, of course, down in the South Sound and over to Wenatchee. What's right up, on, University Place? Yeah, and right on the east side. And, of course, all our freaky friends in Fremont. You know why I name all these places? Because Ron and Don have the biggest social media following and the biggest podcast of any realtor in the state of Washington and probably in the Pacific Northwest and probably in the country. As a result of that, Everybody in the Ron and Don Nation, well, they're choosing Ron and Don to sell, buy, and invest in real estate. And why do you do that? It's because you trust us with a capital T, and we have a connection from all our years of doing Trustor Radio. But Ron, at the end of the day, we still have to step in, do a great job, be phenomenal, and win the deal, right? Yeah, it all starts with the Ron and Don sit-down. It's a 30 to 45-minute Zoom call, free of charge, no obligation. We'll meet you, see if we make a good team. Email me directly, ron at ronanddon.com, or you can set it up on the website, ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget two things. If you need us, just reach out, ronanddonsitdown.com. And if you like when we talk about real estate, every Friday we do a real estate-only show. So make sure you tune in. It drops on this same feed. Uh, real estate only every Friday, so four times a month with Ron and Don. It's one segment. It's about 12 to 15 minutes, and I think it'll make you smarter. Whether you're an investor, buying, selling, uh, listen to the real estate-only show with your boys uh ron and don which again will drop in the same feed right? absolutely just uh, subscribe and, and we love it when you share uh episodes with folks that helps us out yeah read an article the other day i don't know how much this is true or clickbait they said a lot there's a lot of sad americans out there right now because we we live in very sad and boring homes 
And a lot of this is because of HGTV. I will say this. One thing that HGTV has done is it has put a lot of pressure on sellers when they're selling homes to stage their homes. And a lot of times, Ron, sellers want to use their own furniture because it costs less. And real estate agents will always say, no, we probably need to sell the home. Let's talk about staging a home, selling a home, because we have found when it comes to the bottom line, that because so many people have watched things like HGTV, it does make a difference in the presentation and the expectation that people have about the home. Yeah, this is such an interesting dynamic. And we even have a, a very good friend that you, we sold their house down the street. And this happens a lot where they'll do a thing for the next owner. In this case, it was a kitchen remodel. And they're like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because I enjoy this space more than I would have before. And so <laughs> you have people. That's every time. You have people that are thinking when they're in their home about the next owner of the home. And they're doing things like the HGG GTV vacation of their house where it's like, well, I can't paint this wall a color I want to because what about the next owner? I can't do this thing that maybe is a little bit funky, but I would love it because what about the next owner? My, I encourage people when you're in your house, it's not just an investment. It's where you're living. Make it your own, right? Like spend some money to like buy the furniture you like. If you want to have a red wall in your house, put a red wall in your house. If you want to have a black wall in your house, put a black wall in your house. We, I, we have a friend, uh, Ashlyn, that just sold a house. They had a theater room that had a Star Wars into a Marvel Universe mural on the wall that they probably loved. It was a little bit wacky in the, in the listing, but it's, a, it's an amazing, they did a thing. We have a client, uh, Travis that had a media room that had a life-size Darth Vader in there and LED lights everywhere. Cause they like to watch sci-fi movies in that room. I loved it because they made their house what they wanted. Now, then when it comes time to sell, you realize that not everybody likes the exact, maybe then the red wall goes away. But for the time that you're there, I truly believe in getting the furnishings and the colors and the things that you like uh, with the recognition that it may be out of style when you sell. Um, it, but to your point, yes, it's very important to, for that house to look in the range of HGTV. You're going to pick a lane. So if you're like mid-century person and you make it hyper mid-century, uh, that's not very HGTV, but that will still sell in Seattle. If you're a bread and butter, middle of the road house, residential house or condo in Seattle, it needs to be relatively neutral, needs to be staged tastefully. You need to, you know, not have the red wall with the Marvel mural on the side. Uh, that's not going to fly. But, um, express yourself when you're the owner and then change it when you're going to sell it. Yeah. I'll give you, uh, give you an example. When, when COVID happened, I live in a, in a house that has one, two, three, four, five bedrooms. And then I have a cottage out back that has a couple other bedrooms in the house, in the room that we're sitting in right now was a very formal bedroom. And the reason I kept this is a formal bedroom. And it, it's one of my favorite rooms in the house. Cause it has this great view I'm looking over at the Ballard Bridge right now and at Ballard and I'm looking at the ship canal. I'm about, I'm looking at some of the deadliest catch boats. 
I think I see Captain Keith's boat down there uh, that are all on the TV show. And I just, I really like this room, but I never came up to this room where we're actually, we're sitting in right now. It's our studio because I always said, you know what? I'm going to have friends and family come visit me in Seattle. So I need to have that bedroom. And what I found out is no one ever came and stayed in this bedroom. If they came to town, they would usually stay in my apartment downstairs. Or if they came to town and I was out of town, they'd usually stay in my bedroom. But no one ever, I think the bedroom got used one time. And so during COVID, I said to myself, I said, I really like that room up there. And if you walk in this room now, uh, there's a bike sitting in front of this grand window that I like to ride. And I do about 20 minutes on it every morning. And then I have really colorful, there's a yellow stool here and a red stool. And we have microphones and Charlie's laying on the floor and we have weights. And we have a big screen that says Ron and Don Brokers and Ron and Don Radio on it. Uh, There's a TV in here. There's a built-in wall over there. If you look inside, there's some toys. There's some games. uh, There's some boxing gloves. I've done some boxing up here, some working. And so what I did is I took this room and I turned it into something that I would actually use. Because I wasn't really using the room the other way. If, If you walk in the house downstairs... It used to have more formal brown furniture and everything kind of matched. You walk in now, there's a yellow couch. I just got a new green rug. Uh, there are orange chairs and a white chair down there that spin around. And I know that you've raced uh, my son before in the spin around chairs. And it's because my son and I love to spin in those chairs. We love colorful, interesting colors. Charlie wastes the rug down there about every six months. So it's a $69 rug. And when I'm done with it, I put it out in my garage or something, but it's not worth cleaning. And then, uh, and then we get another rug. We, 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 we use that space down there the way we want to use that space. This room now, we use it every day and, and we use it every week because this is our studio and where we record from and our exercise and all these things. But someday, if I were to sell this house, this this would no longer be this room wouldn't be like this. I would transfer it back to the bedroom that it used to be. And even the furniture downstairs, I would pull that because it's too personal. And I would call my friend Adrian from Eclectic Homes, who does a lot of our staging. I say, Adrian, we need to put it back the way that it was because people have an expectation when they look at HDTV and they look at pictures online and Redfin and everything else. They have a certain expectation. And if you meet that expectation, houses sell for 17% more. They just do. Don't stage. Don't do the work. Leave it too personal. Leave all your personal pictures up, and you'll get 17% less. You just will. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, it's Ron here with Mitch Weeks from Mitch.loans. Mitch, it's interesting as the interest rates have risen, many people thought, oh, well, there'll be a bunch of inventory that comes on right at the first part of 2023 and then things will level out. That didn't happen. Inventory remains tight. Interest rates remain high. Why would that still be a good time to buy? 
Well, now's a great time to buy, and that's because rates are going to drop and we're going to see a feeding frenzy. Right now, there's a huge stagnant hole in the market, and that's that 700K to 1.2-ish million dollar home. And all the people living in those homes right now either refied or bought in a 25 to 3.5% rate, and they're terrified to move. They know if they sell their home, they're going to have to jump into a 6, 6.5% rate, and it just won't look as attractive. So what's going to happen is rates are going to drop and all those people who wanted to move, wanted to upsize, wanted to move for whatever reason, you know, people just like to move in life, but they don't move if there's this blocker. And we're going to see that blocker come off. We're going to see the cap come off and we're going to see a, a bit of a frenzy here. All right. So this would be the time to buy and then replace the rate uh, once it drops with your new program. Yeah, we've got the rate and replace program. You can buy now and you can refi free of charge free of the lender fees um and we'll take care of those for you so great deal all right check him out online at mitch.loans it's not a dot com it's mitch.loans all right you guys welcome back to the show don't forget if you need us run it on sit down.com it's interesting as uh we look at some of the hottest days ever recorded in world history uh, here in the States, we're talking a lot about a housing shortage, commercial spaces. How do we convert commercial spaces to housing? Uh, we talked about vertical farms in some of these commercial spaces. Do big companies ever come back to some of these big office spaces? I pro- I don't think so. And at the same time, time marches on. World Population Day. I thought we were at $9 billion. They say we just ticked over $8 billion. So it's somewhere between $8 billion and $9 billion, uh, and it seems like as we head towards 2050, we'll just continue to grow. I've, I've read, they say, you know, there, there, there's room for about 25 billion people on planet Earth. Ron, it doesn't seem to me right now that there's room for 8 billion people on planet Earth. When you look at all the suffering around the globe, when you look at the education, especially in young women, that's not happening. When you look at a shortage of fresh, clean water, it comes down to fresh, clean water, and it comes down to an opportunity to be educated. And and it seems like not just in third world countries, but even in some of our own cities here in the States, we have a very difficult time making sure that people have fresh, clean water and that they have the ability to embrace education. The one thing that I do think is amazing here in the States is when you look at college graduates today, there's more young women that are graduating from college than young men, which I think is great. You look at Melinda Gates. She just wrote a story about why she's really pressing to get more women involved in politics. And you you, you think about this. when If women went to work and they took the off-ramp because they had kids, they could never hit an on-ramp back. Uh, it was very hard to come back and be embraced in the workforce today. And I, and, I, and I think we see that changing. We see more women being empowered here in the States. But, but certainly we don't see more women being empowered around the globe. Uh, what say you about World Population Day uh, and where the world is headed when it comes to clean water, education, and also uh, when it comes to, in some places, uh, famine? Uh, disease and war. So, 
Well, it's, it's clear that, you know, we had talked a couple of episodes back about that book, Sapiens. It, it's remarkable that this species that we're a part of has dominated the globe in the way that it has. I mean, there's never been another species of any animal that's, that's controlled the environment and the planet the way we have. So we have done in some ways irreparable harm and in some ways maybe some good on the planet. I don't know. Like that's maybe out for a person smarter than me. But I like to think when I, when I looked at this, one of the big headlines in World Population Day is that India has overtaken China as the most populous country in the world. I think they're at 1.3 billion. China's at around a billion uh, people. So there's, there's over 2 billion of the eight in those two countries alone. And, and I would encourage Americans to really think about this and, and stop, you know, beating their chest about being the greatest in the world. Because if you travel to India, which I have not, but I have traveled to China, and you see how their societies are structured, and you talk about um, education, United States is in trouble. And I'll give you for, for this reason. If you're in India, or if you're in China, they're not exactly the same models, but they're pretty similar. So let's take China, because that's a country I've been to. Their school system starts at a very early age where they start to figure out which path your child is going to be in. Is this kid destined to be an engineer, mathematician, computer scientist? Is this kid destined to be a laborer? Is this kid destined to be like, what What are they showing an aptitude for? And because it's a communist country, they don't need your permission, right? Like they, the parents don't get to say, well, my little snowflake is going to be this. It's like, no, we're, we're going to give them tests we're going to check their aptitudes. And if you're good enough, we're going to put you into these programs. So, so think about the number, the sheer volume of children they have in the pipeline versus America. So America has about 350 to 400 million people in it. China has a, around three to four times that number. So we have, they have three to four times the number of children. And then they take these children and they make them very competitive in the STEM and in science and math are very competitive. Same with India, very competitive. And so now you have a, a group of kids that get to be the top 10%, 5%, 1%. And they are sorted by that society and they are given elite educations. And we might think, oh, the greatest colleges in the world are, you know, Stanford and MIT and Princeton and Yale and, and all of these colleges. That could be true right now, technically. But um, go to these campuses. And if you make it, if you're an elite student in China, if you're an elite student in India, where do you end up? You end up at MIT. You end up at Stanford. You end up at Yale. Uh, and so they are producing right now a volume of academic minds that is larger, works harder, and has put in more hours of education than the finest academic mind of America. That's just a fact. You could pound your chest and go, USA, and say, we're number one, and whatever you want to tell me, it's not true. So if you year after year, if you're putting four times as many people into computer science as a country than the United States, 
year in and year out. We have four times the number of mathematicians, four times the number of doctors, four times the number of computer scientists, four times the number of mechanical engineers, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, a lot of those countries are sending some of their best students here Absolutely. to be go, educated as, as well. Go to in our classrooms. rural Idaho and tell me who the doctor is. Most likely, it's a person from India. Go to... Mm, I disagree. Go to, Chances are there's not a doctor in rural There's Idaho. not a doctor. But yeah. I'm saying if there is a doctor... In smaller communities in America, most likely that doctor's from India. Most likely he's a veterinarian who's 80 years old. and, and Could and, be. Yeah. My point being is that when it comes to this arc of population, I think Americans need to reframe how you're thinking about well, it. Well, and, and it's not just about the population. It's, it's about those economies. And so you're going to blink in China and India – will be ahead of the U.S. When it, when it comes to a driving economy. And along with that, you think about that. 50% of your tax dollars that you pay go toward what? Yeah, building M1A1 tanks and F-16s. Uh, some you, of those larger countries are finally kind of going, China and India is like, why are we still basing things on the dollar? Yeah. Like maybe we're, we're, we're four times bigger than them. Yeah. Why don't we base it on the yen? So Why every, don't we base it on some other currency? Yeah. So everything that you have has to be guarded by the military industrial complex. And I think we're seeing right now, you go to war with anyone that has any type of capability right now. Look at Russia. They have more nuclear warheads than anyone in the world. And they're getting their huh handed to them by Ukraine. They are. And Ukraine is being fueled by what? By us, right? Can we afford to continue to do that? We can't because what's happening right now is Ukraine is running out of ammunition. So now we're having to send them some really nasty ammunition like cluster bombs. And then we're having to figure out, do we want to go on a war footing right now in the United States Create more ammunition. We're training them in the F-16s. We're training them in the A1A1, the M1A1 tank. And and now what are you doing? You're fighting a proxy war. And Ukraine's not going to win this war, and Russia's not going to win this war, and we're not either. And in the meantime, yeah, China is just taking over the South China Sea. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. If you need us, just reach out. Yeah, you can get me, Ron, at ronanddon.com. You can also go to the website, ronanddonsitdown.com. If you've been uh, thinking about, hey, maybe the interest rates aren't going to come down. Maybe this is the market that's going to be here. I agree with you. Time to jump in the game, be a participant. If life has handed you a curveball, whether that can be uh, your family's expanding or contracting, or you got a job that you need to be transferred for, we get it. We want to help you transition to the next chapter. And if that means selling your house, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to hit the like uh, button. Give us uh, maybe a five-star review. We'd love that. If you think we deserved it, thank you for allowing us to be your realtors, your friends, and your broadcasters. Don't forget, the Friday-only show is coming up this Friday. We'll talk about real estate only. It's one segment, about 12, 15 minutes. I think after you listen to it, you'll be a little bit smarter. Every Friday, the real estate-only show right here on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. As I said, you're listening to Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.